Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. My guest today is the award-winning broadcaster, Asma Mir. Born and brought up in Glasgow of Pakistani heritage, Asma started in newspapers before moving to the BBC, where she worked for 20 years, most famously as co-host of Saturday Live. She joined Times Radio three years ago, where she co-hosts The Breakfast Show, and is a two-time winner of a Sony Gold Award kind of like a radio Oscar. She's also been named Audio Presenter of the Year at the Broadcasting Press Guild Awards and she won Celebrity Mastermind. We're talking Brainiac. But before all this, Asma was a teenage loner, the third of four children growing up between two cultures in the 70s and 80s. A childhood that could not have been more different than her mother, Almas, growing up in the 1950s in Pakistan. It is those two childhoods that are the subject of Asma's moving memoir, A Pebble in the Throat, which interweaves her childhood and teenage years with those of her mother. It gets worse, Sam. He went up to me and he put his hand in front of my face, so horizontal, and then ticked it along round my face. Tick, oh my tick, God! Tick, 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 tick. How did you not hit him? <laughs> At that point, I was just like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to go over and talk to someone over there because that's just like not cool. On a trip to Scotland, Asma came and hung out in my kitchen to discuss writing a book with her mother, how the racism of her childhood shaped her, learning to be visible, deciding to enter marriage and rebuilding life after divorce. We also discussed her unexpected daughter, menopause, her monster to-do list and how she finally dislodged the pebble in her own throat. Do you get up about three? I get up at ten past three. Yes, ten past three. And um, oh yeah, I know. But I'm kind of used to it now. It's yeah. been three years now, and I think you get used to it. But you know, the older you get, it's not, I don't think this is a young person's game, really. And also going through like perimenopause or whatever it is I'm going through, I don't even know. It just really hits you hard. So you have to have a structure. You know, you have to have a routine and don't deviate from it. And that tends to work. So did you basically have that? Everything happening at once, you accepted this big new job, you left the BBC after 20 years, you ended your marriage, and you had perimenopause at the same time, or did that come like a little bit later? A little bit later, so um, left the BBC and joined Times Radio in 2020, just kind of the time of the pandemic starting, so that was weird, (laughs) so the, the new job was delayed because of the pandemic, I think it was supposed to start in March, and it ended up starting in June, or the end of June, and then I had one year of kind of normality where... The only thing I really had to worry about was getting up at three o'clock in the morning. And then a year into it, um, I got a book deal, which was, you know, fantastic. And also at the On same top time, of everything else. yeah. And I, I was so excited. I thought, oh, I've got a year to write this. That's fine. You know, it's um, 9,000 words a month. You know, that's fine. I can yeah. do it. There speaks a journalist. No, well, you know, it was my, actually, my agent said that to me. He said, oh, so that's 9,000. I was like, what? Okay, that sounds doable because I had no idea. Mm what it meant so I got the book deal and also then yes the marriage just like fell apart you know overnight and I had to then just kind of just kind of I don't know grapple with everything like just scrambling around just like it's a bit like like you're on a 
ship and it's sinking and you're quickly just trying to grab all your possessions or things that are important to you and try and, and I don't know kind of make them stand upright so that they don't fall fall over it's kind of it's just weird you know so you go into that weird kind of fight or flight mode or whatever it is I don't even know just crisis mode and um you try to work things through but you know I did have this um period where I really didn't know what I was going to do I didn't know how I was going to continue getting over three o'clock and leaving the house at 4am when there was a five-year-old child in the house Mm. it just didn't seem to me it was a soluble problem and that really freaked me out because I am used to things being soluble yeah you can fix it somehow somehow you know I think it's quite it's a female thing but men can also do it but I think you know women are very good at problem solving maybe because we've been left all the problems to solve I don't know I don't know you're the family fixer as well yeah yeah pretty much you know like I you know I would know what was happening what needed to be done and try and anticipate problems rather than just let things happen and then go oh my god what are we going to do now so that was the kind of the crisis, the crisis was that. And at that point, I kind of, I remember tweeting about it because I, not to, to, to kind of show grandstand or showcase my pain because I actually didn't know what to do. How do I do this? Should I cut myself in half? Should I get myself a wife? Or should I leave my job? It felt like those were the only three options available to me. And then I got this huge kind of response back, mostly from women, but from some lovely men as well saying, you know, this is ridiculous. You shouldn't have to, you know, do everything. And women I didn't even know, maybe women who worked at the BBC or another organisation saying, come and live with me. I'll look after your daughter. You can share my nanny. I also have to get up at four o'clock. I've got an attic room. Brilliant. And I'm just thinking, what? That's mad. Yeah, where's that all come quite, from? Quite an attractive prospect, but, mm. you know, but probably not going to work. But in the end, what had to happen was that I had to work from home. And a lot of people will be like, yeah, but everyone's working from home. But not many people were co-presenting a radio show from home. Because it's quite a difficult thing to do, actually. Yeah, Although, is it? House. Yeah, well, so that, that was the more difficult bit. So... They're very much like, you can't co-present because when do you know when to stop and start and how will you not talk over each other? But you know what? There's so much technology that we just had like a kind of ongoing video call. So I could, there was no delay and I could see when my co-presenter, he would look at me, I would look at him. And someone said to me six months or four months down the line, I didn't know you were broadcasting from an ironing board in your bedroom. Ironing boards are really useful like that. (laughs) If if we owned one, which we don't, I I would be using it right now. I don't own an ironing board anymore. No, because I don't believe in ironing clothes no, no, no. life is too short as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and um once it had uh, uh you know done its job it, i just sent it away to its to its kind of you know its demise uh, so i don't have an ironing board now or an iron obviously just evicted it yeah because i'd started to make notes about you know taking on this big job and then getting divorced and and then i just thought i'm not gonna ask asthma about childcare because nobody would ever ask a man mm how he manages that but then do men even have to think about it not many yeah it's very true I was just having a conversation just now with a friend of mine about you know the summer holidays and it's like I'm already thinking I've already got the six weeks mapped out because Mm. I am thinking about that because it impacts on me if there's no one to look after her for six weeks then what I have to take six weeks off I mean it's you know so it's something that we'll have we we have to co-parent and do together but obviously it it hadn't crossed his mind really he's a bit like but it's May and I'm like yeah but we need to book stuff up and yeah. yeah and I just need to know which weeks do you want to do which weeks am I going to do and it's that same thing really of you know after school clubs you just kind of go on and you pay for them and you kind of think hang on a sec I'm doing it but I'm not even doing those days it's not even a financial thing but it's a it's a mental load thing isn't it where you're kind of just constantly thinking like she doesn't have any summer pajamas and she doesn't have any trainer socks so she's getting quite hot in those socks so order them and order them and what about that club and in August this is happening and and this birthday and I need to send out save the dates and it goes on and on and on and I only have one child and I love that child and I actually love organizing all this stuff for her because she appreciates it so much but it's amazing how much of this stuff just goes round in your head like a goldfish in a bowl all day. And I think Michelle Hussein once said that, I think for the Olympics or something like that, possibly Beijing, oh. it was three o'clock in the morning or something and she thought about ordering nappies to her house. And at that point, I think she said, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm not there. It's not up to me. And many yeah. of these 
you know, men as they are, maybe if we stood back a bit, they would actually do it. But it's, it's just, it's all, it's all messed up, really, isn't it? Yeah, you know? yeah, and really you don't is. want to cast aspersions on all men because some of them are, are amazing. Just the stuff they do. And I just watch them and I'm just like, oh, wow. And then people say, well, you shouldn't say they're amazing because they're just doing their job. And I'm like, but, but I still think it's an amazing, wonderful thing to do when I see a proper equal partnership. I do think yeah. it's amazing yeah. because it's very rare. Yeah, you know, really 50-50 is, yeah. is rare it's really and you know no matter how much people shout and ran and say that's not fair it's true it's just true it'll it take a long true, time yeah. for it to yeah. change you know yeah it will I mean I've said this a thousand times on this podcast but it feels like over lockdown it went backwards mm. but I saw in the book you referred to your daughter once or twice as your unexpected daughter mm. yeah so she was unexpected because I was 43 I think when I had her and I never really wanted to have kids and I never really wanted to get married. So what does that say about me? I mean, uh, you know, Nothing. it can say, no, well, exactly. It can say, you know, it can say good things. It can say bad things. Some people might say, yeah. well, that's why your marriage ended. But no, I really, really, you know, invested in that marriage. And mm. when it fell apart, it just wasn't anything to do with me. I wish it had been in a way because you could own it more. But it was just, you know, external circumstances that meant it couldn't continue. But um, I was never really particularly, never had that maternal thing and no, so many of my yeah so many of my friends were like yeah I'm not into that either we were I think we were very much of the generation I was born in 1971 very much the generation the kind of Madonna generation where it was just like be your own boss have a job you know wear yeah. a suit have yeah. a briefcase <laughs> go to yeah. work yeah. Um, and just you know and own the day that was always instilled in me by my mum and dad by you know society by you know other female role models that I saw so I wasn't that bothered and I genuinely didn't have that kind of feeling about you know I had nephews my sister had children when she was 30 so I had nephews when I was so I would have been like 25 I think you know so that was amazing you know it was so good I think I may have got the math slightly wrong but I was quite young and then what happened was when I was 40 I went to a party (laughs) with my husband and we took this guy along with us and I didn't know the guy Um, and he seemed nice enough and I think he, he just had a bit too much to drink and he was talking to me because he didn't really know anyone there. And he was just saying, but you know, I just don't understand, you know, you're such a nice couple. Why don't you have any children? And I said, well, we're just really happy the way we are. We yeah. go on holidays and we just have a lovely, lovely life. You know, he goes and travels a lot. I'm traveling quite a bit, you know, domestically because I'm doing, you know, TV reporting. And I was freelancing at that point, I think. And I think I just left Five Live and, and I was just doing lots of bits and pieces and I just just loving it. And I just thought that would be the end of it. There was something about it. I think maybe, I don't even know if he had a lot of children or what, or he was brought up that way but he just kept on like turning the Mm. screw on me and then at one point on you yeah not on your husband no no no, no. I think my husband was just kind of like sheepishly standing by maybe he was a bit embarrassed by it all because he'd brought him I don't know but at one point he just kind of went up to me I think he was very old-fashioned he said you know that is your vocation you know you're a woman and okay you might not want to have children but you are so lucky you have that gift and da, 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 and, all. and I was just thinking okay I don't really agree with you and I don't really so want to you just smile yeah and... I was trying my best to be diplomatic and then he said it's un- I just think it's unnatural for women not to have children and I was just saying well oh I said there's a lot God. there's a lot of women who are unnatural then yeah you know? I'm really unnatural <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like God whatever makes you happy you know but um, why did he get off just saying this to you it gets worse Sam he went up to me and he put his hand in front of my face so horizontal and then ticked it along round my face oh my god how did you not hit him (laughs) at that point I was just like okay I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go over and talk to someone over there because that's just like not cool so rude yeah so I wasn't upset in terms of oh maybe he's right maybe I should have a child I was just upset because I remember thinking he's like a dog with a bone it's like just leave leave it but I suppose some people just have a thing in their head about something anyway so fast forward a couple of years and a couple of women including two relatives of mine who were about my age both unexpectedly got pregnant and then a friend of mine got pregnant. She's like five years older than me. And she was just like, I, I don't know what, oh my God, I can't believe this. I'm pregnant. And I'm like, I think she was 45 or something like that. And I was just like, and at that point, I just felt you've all left me here standing on my own on the dance floor. Yeah. 
And I just slightly panicked. I slightly panicked. And my mum had been saying to me, it's fine, you don't want to have kids, fine, but make sure you're sure because once it's gone, it's gone and you might regret it. So your certainty went at yeah, that point. Yeah, it, it wobbled a bit. I think it wouldn't have wobbled if those three women, and good for them, you know, they love having their kids and everything, but it was a shock to me because it all happened within like six months. Oh, and so you hadn't been trying really for ages or anything. You no, decided to and no. Yeah, exactly. Here she came. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, oh my God, it was hard. Yeah. It was so hard. She had reflux. I had a C-section, you know, and then she had reflux. She didn't sleep for seven months because she couldn't, because she was constantly being sick. I was breastfeeding her 14 times a day, which is really good for, uh, not good for your mental health, but really good for weight loss, if that's what you want to do after you've had a baby, because obviously you've gained extra weight. Um, So 14 times a day, I used to write it down because I was like, is it really four? Yes, it really is 14 times a day because she was constantly hungry. Oh God. So it's very isolating having a young child. um, So kind of in your mid forties. Yeah. And you feel very isolated as well because there's not many people your age who are having children. No, well, you were fully geriatric, Mum. Oh, well, officially, yes. Geriatric, yes. I'm just thinking about, like, where I was at with my body and gynaecology and all of that at that age. The idea of having a baby as well. Mm. Wow. The whole thing was mind-blowing, really, and I'm glad I did it because... I really do try to be true to myself. Like, I think that's one of the reasons perhaps why I didn't always do well socially when I was younger because I just always, always wanted to be true to myself and I couldn't pretend Mm. to be something else. I found that really difficult. Whereas other people friends family would pretend to be something just to get through just to survive and I don't disrespect that it's It's a skill yeah it's a skill it is a skill I haven't got it but I just don't have it and I've always been slightly awkward like as in oh she's a bit awkward a bit difficult but it's because I'd never want to follow the crowd and again that makes me sound like hey I'm such a hipster I'm so not I shop at John Lewis I am the most unhipster person ever I love John Lewis I love it I could I can spend five hours in John Lewis it has meets all my needs you know so when I say that I don't follow the crowd I suppose maybe I do because I go to John Lewis but if everyone's going one way I will try and look to see what else is happening over there you know because I have a fear of that actually it's like really and I don't know whether that's just to do with childhood and having some isolated moments where you were told that you were different and you need to stand back and you're not as good as us and you know all that stuff that happened in the 70s it was routine really maybe it comes from that I don't know I was gonna say do you think it's leaning into horrible phrase sorry like almost embracing that well you tell me I'm different Mm. you treat me like I'm different and all that hideousness that you went through at school particularly secondary school Mm. do you think it's maybe a product of that going well I'll be different yeah Yeah, possibly yeah it's very possible I was really struck when I read the book how and you do see this quite a lot but it was really marked with you the kind of little asthma Mm. the kind of outgoing extrovert attention seeking (laughs) and in your words not mine yeah totally little girl troublemaker Mm. she sounds great Where did she go when you became a teenager? Just like she vanished. Yeah. So I think that I think that probably does happen to a lot of women. I can't speak for men because I am not a man. It may happen to men that they go through a change, you know, when they're when they become teenagers because it's quite common, I think. But I think a lot of girls just become more aware of what society expects of them, you know, that you need to be quiet, take up less space, be pretty. We're talking about the 70s and the 80s here. Mm. So, you know, things might be better now. You know, I, God, I it's difficult so, for me. Yeah. yeah, it's difficult for me to gauge really I think I think they are you know although all these t-shirts that say you can do whatever you want and girls are the, I don't actually buy into any of that no, stuff it's because it's it's commercial. false it's false expectations really because my daughter thinks she can do anything and I'm like I haven't said to her but I'm not sure that's true actually but you know anyway so I think there's all those expectations and perhaps mine were double the normal expectation because I was just being made to feel different every day. So you just become quieter and quieter and quieter and all of a sudden no one can hear you and you that's how you disappear, I suppose, you know. You feel like a monster, you feel like a freak and so you don't want to draw attention to yourself. You sit in the corner quietly and you hope no one will notice you because when people do notice you, their eyes would settle on you and it'd be like, oh, hello, you're a bit different. Where are you mm. from? And I'm like, where am I from? And I would give you give them their, your address and they'd be like, where are, you, where are you originally from? And you're thinking, I don't know what that means. I mean, it's, it's like it's become a cliche yeah. where you're originally from, but what they basically wanted but, to know is why are you brown? Yeah. <laughs> Can you just tell us? 
And I would have probably respected that more and been able to answer that more easily as, yes, a, as an eight-year-old yeah. if someone had just said, why are you brown? My parents are brown. Why are your parents brown? They lived in Pakistan and then they came over here rather than saying, mm. who are you? Why are you? You know, you speak to anyone my age who grew up in the UK yeah. at that time. And I think it was a genuine curiosity. I don't think it was, I'm asking because I think you're inferior. I think it was genuine curiosity. And once some people were satisfied of the answer, they were happy just to get on with you and rub along. But obviously others weren't. And it was it was more really the, the adults that were less happy because they were you know reading whatever they were reading in the paper they were listening to you know Powell or you know whatever it might have been at the time and just saw us as as lesser people I mean they really did but there were a lot of people who didn't but obviously it's people that did that you really remember because they made you feel bad about yourself it's like that terrible story well one of many terrible stories but it's not a book full of terrible stories (laughs) I must say but the really sad story about is it Janet and Julie Oh, yeah. Or Juliet and Jane. Yeah. Janet, I can't yeah. remember. No, no, they're all pseudonym- pseudonyms anyway, yeah. so I, I lose Two track of girls them. On Two your little street. girls on my street, yeah. So they were just like, you know, great fun, and, and they moved in. It was a new estate, basically, and the house was empty for a while, and they moved in. I was like, oh, cool, two girls are my age, you know, oh, amazing. Their mum and dad were really friendly and really smiley and very glamorous, you know, and the dad was, I think I had a bit of a crush on the dad. He was just like so, you know, so handsome. Catalogue man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. V-neck sweaters. And they used to come to my parties and everything. And um, it's very difficult because there's this thing called, I can't remember what the word is, but kind of like authentic remembering. There's, There's an actual, there's a specific word. It's a concept when you're memoir writing about how much you really genuinely remember about something and how much perhaps have you just, have you ascribed to something that maybe didn't happen. But I don't remember ever seeing the inside of their house. I never found, got to the bottom of it, but... Other people went into the house, but I didn't. And it wasn't like they said, no, you can't come in. They were always just kind of like bundling the girls out so Mm. that I could go and play with them. And I just remember standing on that doorstep so often and just being so frustrated, thinking, well, I want to get in, I want to get in. The more you weren't allowed in, the more you wanted to get in. Exactly. But it was never said that you can't come in. It was just always like, oh, oh, no, they can't come out today because they're washing their hair. Or literally, that used to be a big thing, washing your hair in the 70s and 80s. But if someone said they're washing their hair, they actually were washing their hair. (laughs) <laughs> with some kind of like apple scented shampoo oh, God, yeah. um so there were like small things you know that that you tried to explain away as a child and you were just saying oh it's you didn't think it could be because of that but some people welcomed into us into their homes and everything was fine but other parents were just a bit dubious they didn't quite know what to do with us you know and i i suppose maybe that's understandable <laughs> I think you're being generous. <laughs> but it was like 1978 yeah. or something like yeah. that, you know? Um, yeah. No, I mean, I went to a secondary school that sounded very similar to yours. You know, enormous, like 1,500 kids, yeah. 300 kids a year. There was one black girl in my year. Mm. And in the entire school, a black guy and a guy who was half Pakistani Mm -hmm. out of 1,500 children. Amazing. Yeah. Mind you, a lot of parts of the country are still yeah I'm always surprised though when I see that and then I think well you know you live in London you know you live in a London bubble and also I live in East London currently where it's mm. like you know it's hugely um, mixed but it does always surprise me I tell you what really surprises me when I go to Glasgow now and I just find myself staring at everyone who's not white yeah not a, obviously not in a bad way but in a kind of like oh my goodness this is amazing if I was growing up now things would be so different because you wouldn't stand out so much and and that did have a lot to do with why I think why I ended up in London because I just knew I could disappear there and I wanted to disappear I wanted no one to look at me I didn't want to be remarkable in any way I just wanted to just live my life and be at peace and I have done you know a lot of people say oh why did you go to London you should have stayed in Glasgow and I'm like well I just I just wanted that next part of my life to be different it'd be different now though if I lived in Glasgow now I know it would be a completely different experience to you know what it was 40 years ago of course it would be Um, but at the time I remember thinking I just want to be amongst people who look a bit like me what point did you start to get comfortable with your visibility what point did asthma come back I mean, so I went to university in Bristol and obviously you're on your own and you can reinvent yourself in a way, you know, people don't really know all the stuff that went on before and like my mum and dad, (laughs) 
Most people, when they go to university, when they're 18 or whatever, their mom and dad take them there, like they drive them there or they go on the train with them. My mom and dad literally just put me on a train <laughs> with a suitcase <laughs> and a ghetto blaster, as we used to call them back oh, then, a God, little stereo. Yeah. All the other English kids, because mostly English kids, they'd all been driven there by their mom and dad and they all like were fully furnished, probably from John Lewis, you know, with nice yeah. things. And I just had bare walls and a suitcase and my music system. And I suppose my parents were just kind of like, they were busy. They had a business and they had my little brother to worry about as well. It was just, it was impossible to do anything with my poor little brother. You know, it was just really, really difficult. So in answer to your question, I think probably it started at university because you could just start from zero. And then when I left university, I ended up weirdly working for STV as a graduate trainee because I didn't want to do the law. I found it really boring. So I got my degree and then I was like, what am I going to do now? And I ended up as a graduate trainee at STV. And I don't know why this happened. Maybe they were being very forward thinking. I don't know. Within four months, they put me on screen. And I was 21 years old. And I was terrified. Maybe 21, maybe 22. Really young. This was 1993. There was already actually a, an Asian newsreader. who will be well, very well known to Scottish listeners. Shireen Nanjiani. She'd already been there for a good maybe five to ten years. So then there was me as well. And then at one point I remember we presented the main evening news together. So I started doing that. And I found it weird this is you know obviously there was a point when I couldn't go into a shop I didn't want to speak I didn't want anyone to look at me and I didn't want to do it and I said no twice and then someone said to me you can't really say no because that's just like you know naff and won't be looked upon very kindly yeah you so won't I was like oh, your career. a little bit I suppose there was that kind of feeling so I just said yes and then and then I did it and I think that helped me a bit but then of course what happened was I'd be walking down the street and everyone would be like pointing at me not in a bad way but they'd be like yeah. you're that woman off the telly and that and I Even I didn't more so. yeah so I didn't enjoy that because I am a really private person and I don't know maybe I do have a huge ego who knows they were not pointing at me and saying you smell you're disgusting you're brown where are you from they're pointing at me for a different reason and that kind of felt okay yeah weirdly so I think maybe around about that time when I went to London I got to London about 1999 and to be honest with you I, I just loved I loved it you know I was working at the BBC in London locally and we, everyone was in their 20s everyone was single we just went out every night and I made a, an amazing group of friends who I'm still friends with today you know they came to the book launch and you know it's just I think that's when that was the kind of peak the peak years really yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it took a while I noticed you tweeted. Oh no. <laughs> yes. I thought I had found you when I was 16, then again at 29, but I couldn't hold on to you. In fact, I ended up waiting all my life. You're nearly here and I cannot wait to hold you. I'll never let you go again. <laughs> Tell me about those times you found and lost you. Um, I can't even remember like the times, but they were, I suppose they coincide with in the book when I got taken out of the horrible school and went to a slightly nicer school and then found something I was good at which was studying Mm. (laughs) because that's completely in my control you know no one can affect that in any way and in the first school people who were not white by the horrible people were seen as kind of smelly we were always like smelly smell of curry and all the rest of it when I went to the better school the nice school and it was a nice school because people didn't try and and hit you there was this feeling from some teachers that you were a bit stupid that you might not be able to speak English that you might be educationally subnormal and that's why they put me in an extra English class and I was just like I know I don't think I need this it's fine so I wanted to prove to them that actually this was not true, you know, that actually we can be clever. I think that's now a a stereotype that I don't think exists anymore, but it did back then. It's a bit like, you know, Asian players can't play football. It's like, well, yes, they can, you know. So that probably is the first time, you know, when I suddenly became good at something and felt good about myself. And, you know, my teachers were, once they worked out that I was, could be clever, they were really respectful, actually. And they let me enter competitions and and go for Oxford and you know all that kind of stuff but you had to prove that before you were allowed yeah I definitely had to prove it definitely because there were there were prejudices and I'm not immune to prejudices I'm sure I had prejudices too about people when I was growing up my parents have prejudices too you know I really think we all do and then I think when I was 29 again just I think that's a time when I was living in London and just like really living my, what they now say living my best life. You know, it's really weird because women especially talk about their 20s were this, their 30s were this, their 40s were this. 
And and I've never really thought about it in that way, but I have to say our twenties were phenomenal. <laughs> The amount of clubbing that went on, the amount of just random meeting people and like, you know, gorgeous guys and like snogs and, you know, all the, honestly, seriously, it was the best. My 20s were my best. And I constantly think back to my 20s and I think they were amazing. My 30s were definitely a decade of two halves. You know, the first half I was single and kind of like, not sure, wasn't quite sure what I was doing, where my place was. The latter half, I was married. My 40s were horrendous. They were shit. <laughs> they were absolutely shit. And I don't know why. I always thought my 40s would be good. But after I had my amazing daughter, every single thing went downhill. People stopped employing me. People stopped calling me up and saying, can you go and do this? Can you go and do that? Definitely my relationship changed, which I think is very common. I just started to feel less in control of things. I started to feel anxious. And I suddenly started feeling myself just tipping down a slope into, I didn't know what it was, but it was everything. So it's having a baby. It's trying to, you know, do your job. It's your body's changing. Your relationship is deteriorating. And you just don't feel in control of anything at all. And you kind of think, hang on a sec. I thought in my 40s, I was supposed to be like, you know, solvent, secure, Mm. you know, all this kind of stuff, but it was terrible. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And the last year of my 40s was the worst. Uh, when I was 49, that's when I got separated and all the rest of it. I mean, we shouldn't look at it in those ways, should we? But I suppose it's helpful. Some people say to me, don't look at it that way. Look at it as this is the second half yeah. of your life. You're not going to make any of those mistakes again because they've all been made. And yeah. I do find myself changing already. I do find myself very... Someone asked me to do something, I just say, I'm not going to be able to do that. It's not going to happen. That's too much stress for me and also with the whole perimenopause thing I'm on HRT now which has really helped I just have to be so kind of aware of how I feel on a particular day or a particular month like I'm feeling terrible right now like I took the wrong HRT recently I obviously just had too much going on and I took the wrong dosage of tablets Oh God. and it sent me over the edge because my periods came back and I was Ugh. just like what is going on this is horrendous and I felt awful I felt like I was in the abyss I phoned up the doctor and she was like so you're doing this and two of these and I was like yeah well, hang on a minute two oh I've been taking one and she said all right how long for I said probably two months she says how long have you had periods two months she said that'll be what it is that'll be why and it's just like how mad is that you know so it's amazing I don't want my period back (laughs) no I know who would want that back no no not at all so I just I'm just hoping that there's a lot going on now you know it's like we're moving house and got this book out you know it's like I'm hoping Mm -hmm. I don't have another book idea in me right now but I'm hoping that this is what I actually do because it's what I've always wanted to do really from day one you know my mum said to me she said I always thought you would write a book you know before you were 30 because it was your thing and obviously life gets in the way yeah and also 
go no, down a different path. Totally. And how much do you have to write about when you're 30 about your own life? Mm. I don't know, you know. But, you know, she's really happy that I finally did it and that she's still around to see it as well. And in fact, she's on the front of cover. She quite likes that too. Yeah. So I was going to ask you actually, because it's interwoven your t- childhood and teenage years into your mother's teenage and coming hmm. to Glasgow. Yeah. Did your mum write her bits or did you interview it out of her? I interviewed it out of her. So I think it was kind of the tail end of lockdown. So it was on the phone, a long, long conversations. And my mum's hearing is not amazing. So you can imagine what that was like. Uh, so just like two notebooks worth of notes from my mum about things that I thought would be interesting. And then I would check with her, is there anything else? And then she'd say, oh, what about this? And, you know, there's things in the book that I did not know about my mum until she casually mentioned them maybe six months before Mm. I got the idea for the book. Because I was just going to write my memoir. And then I thought, hang on a second, mum, your story is mad. What earth is going on? Beautiful. I saw Ian Rankin say on Twitter that it could have been fiction. I know. And I know exactly what he meant. But that was such a compliment. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's such a beautifully told story it's a story ultimately of three women but yeah really it's and I can't spoil yeah <laughs> I love the end oh. oh I'm so glad I'm so glad how was it did you well you've just said that you did discover stuff about your mum did it change your relationship I don't know because there was so much stuff happening at the same time so I mean why does everything happen at the same time it's just annoying so When my marriage fell apart, I had some difficulties with my immediate family, not because they disapproved, they were 100% behind me, they had no issue with that. But what happened was, was that my immediate family, they think I'm a tough cookie, they think I can withstand anything, and she'll be fine, she's a tough one, she is, you know, she just gets up at three o'clock, she, you know, she does five jobs at once, she'll be fine. Mm. And so what they did was, they over-ascribed competence to me. And the reason I know this is because my therapist has told me this because I had to get a therapist. (laughs) Because I thought my head was going to explode at one point. She's right, I suppose, because she just thought, they thought, we don't need to go through the emotional stuff with her because she's fine. She's She's got it down. She's hard as nails, she is. She's really tough. And actually, I'm not. Well, I am, but that stuff it was such a punch in the stomach and there was other stuff that was going on too like my my daughter was kind of like misbehaving at school and I was getting called in there and then I went to to my family for some comfort and they were just very clinical like they weren't horrible because you know I love my family especially my mum and my dad but they were very clinical about it. They were just like, right, so what, let's be practical. What are you going to do about your house? What are you going to do about your, what are you going to do? Like, let's, let's work out how we can help you that I don't know. So I was just like, just looking at them thinking, but this terrible thing has happened. Is anyone going to talk to me about how I feel about it or not? And what happened was, was that there was an, uh, uh, just a massive falling out. And I didn't speak to some members of my family for two years. And I didn't speak to my my poor, I know, I didn't speak to my mum for, I think it was a couple of, maybe a couple of months. And I'm someone who, I love my mum so much that I speak to her, you know, if not every week, then twice a week. Although I've noticed as I've got older, we do talk less. I don't know why that is, but anyway. So it was really difficult. So that's changed our relationship. And slowly we came back together. My mum was just like, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, I should have spoken to you about the emotional stuff, but I didn't want to upset you. I didn't want mm. you to cry and I was kind of like I understand that but what you did just made me feel like no one cared you know was it maybe that she didn't want to see you cry as opposed yes. she didn't want to make you cry? yeah probably that because she's never she's not not since I was a teenager I think has she seen me cry because I think I used up all my tears when I was mm. a teenager I'm not really a crier mm. um is she a crier no she's not a crier she's tough She's so tough, my mum. And when she does cry, it's like the world has fallen apart. Like there's a bit in the book where her relative dies and she cries. And I was just mm. so upset to see my mum cry. Because when you're six years old, whatever, you... Like I cried once in front of my daughter and she was just like, she was in tears as well. And the whole yeah. thing just went on and on and on. And I think it's a pattern that repeats itself. But in answer to your question about my mum I think our relationship has really changed and it's a real shame actually because this book should have cemented that relationship and I mean I love my mum but there's definitely a little bit more distance between us and that's so sad it's so sad because I don't know how much longer my mum's going to be around she's about approximately 80 years old no one knows how old my mum or my dad is because that age no one knows 
Yeah. They don't have birth certificates and stuff like that. So it's a rough idea. My mum's about 80 and, you know, I should be, I should be closer to her and I try very hard, but something definitely shifted and it's terrible actually. I feel, I feel bad about that because I should be able to get over it. But I just think it was just such a horrible time that I just wished people had been there for me. And a lot of people were not there for me and I'm not friends with them anymore. And a lot mm. of people who I hardly knew laid down everything for me. And it's just bizarre. It's funny, isn't it? It's so weird. How that happens. How sometimes, yeah. whether it's family or friends, yeah. when there's a big crisis, it's not the people you expect who come through. No. Ever. No, I know. It's just really weird. I mean, like, neighbours were more help than some yeah. friends. And some friends just... I think some female friends who were perhaps going through similar things found it just too difficult to contemplate think that's what it was and I, that's fine I understand that you know I don't you don't have to be a textbook friend you know it's fine but you know it's hard for me to kind of come back to someone if they were just absent for two years you know it's like well where were you well I just found it really difficult well so did I yeah so sorry, I just <laughs> I needed someone to have a coffee with yeah me. exactly uh, exactly a friend of mine when she left her husband she said the same thing and it made them look at their own marriages and either decide they couldn't settle or realise they were going to settle mm. and yep. they couldn't yeah. be with her not settling. Yeah, you know, yeah, those totally. things couldn't yes. yeah. coexist yeah. for them. But that doesn't make it any better when you like, just yeah. desperately need your friends around yeah, you. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I just don't, I don't, I, you know, a couple of friends who are in, have been over the years in a similar situation and they both stayed they both settled and I just think well that's fine you've got to do what you've got to do you you know you've got to look at your circumstances your finances your mental health your support network the age of your children what job you do you have to look at all that and you have to make your own decision and you have to live with it and that's absolutely fine you know god we're all going to have a different response I would have definitely made the same decision anyway but you know I was lucky in that I was in a well-paid job if it happened a few years before when I was working at the BBC and I was only working one day a week it would have been a financial struggle but I still would have done it because you've got to be true to yourself that's the thing isn't it though it's like you can say you were lucky because you were well paid and and yeah some women are trapped in bad relationships or just relationships by their finances Mm. but like you said you would you would have done it anyway yeah oh yeah definitely I mean that was an that was an absolute no-brainer it's such a shame really because you know I don't really like I said I don't really want to get married and then when I did find someone that I thought was you know the right person was someone that I could marry that I did love it's just a shame it seems like such an inadequate thing to say but it is really you know because you find someone quite late on in life and you kind of think okay I've waited a long time I've really weighed this up you know um but I just I suppose it just again that's just that is life you you take a chance on whoever you marry, man or woman. Are you back out there? Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm not. No. Mm. Um, so first of all, I haven't... Um, I don't have the time because of my mad job, mm. you know. So I'm in bed at half eight. That's I don't true, think many not. people would, yeah. would, would think that. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going out a date with you, but I need to be home by eight o'clock. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's the weekend, but then I'm with my daughter. So I don't really have any time right now. I don't... I think the idea of living with someone fills me with absolute horror I love living on my own and I love just having my own space and coming home and you know all the rest of it but um I think in a way I am a bit of a kind of quite an old-fashioned romantic in that I do I love the idea of dates but old-fashioned dates so not dates by apps no one looking at their phone over dinner basically you know long candles a nice walk home maybe by a river you know I'm really really old-fashioned that way you know in a kind of nice Italian restaurant so one day it would be lovely to go out even if it's just a solitary date or solitary dates it would be nice because I love the idea of that and I think a lot of it also goes back to you know when I was a when I was a teenager and being told that like you know no one would want to marry you and you know you're brown and you smell and you're ugly and what man would want you and all that kind of thing and I think a lot of that those horrible kids true but but it happened to a lot of girls actually you know like you're fat you're this you're that what man you know it's just how you know children can be and I think still are obviously now they just do it digitally um I know which must be must be a million times worse but um I think I still always just hankered after 
I can't wait to be grown up. I can't wait to go on dates and hold hands with a man and all that kind of stuff, you know, like you do when you're a teenager. And I've done all that stuff um, and it didn't work out. And you kind of just think, well, it would still be nice, you know, to, to do that again someplace, sometime. Who knows? Who knows when, you know? It might be next year. It might be in 10 years. I just don't know at this point. I'm just trying to get my footing right now. Mm. But, you know, I'm getting there. Before I ask you the questions I always ask, I want to ask you about the book title, Mm -hmm. A Pebble in the Throat. Tell me where that comes from. So, again, so much of this goes back to the divorce. When I wrote a column about the fact that I was getting divorced, I had to because I had a weekly column in the Times in Scotland at that point, and I basically could not get past it I couldn't write about anything because I had an absolute block so I had to get it out there I didn't really want to talk about a divorce and but I thought just get it out and then move on so that column was about when you find the obstruction the pebble in the throat in your marriage when you suddenly understand why your marriage isn't working you remove the pebble and you move on with life and that came from as explained in the book a kind of little parable type thing that my mum used to tell me about this little bird that couldn't sing and and then it befriended another bird who looked inside its mouth and saw a pebble and pecked it out and then the bird could sing like all its siblings so that's what the the kind of the the origin of it but a pebble in the throat I suppose also it it refers to my grandmother who you know found it difficult to progress with her life because of her circumstances Um, and it, it also refers to the fact that I couldn't speak for a while. You know, I lost my voice because I was so underconfident. And so I think the pebble in the throat in terms of characters refers to me and my grandmother, not really my mum so much, although she was the one that told me the story about this little bird and it's always stuck in my mind. And a few people on Twitter said to me when they saw the title, they were like, oh... That column that you wrote. Yeah, it's a lovely they, they column. they kind of remember it, you know. But it's really weird reading that because I'm, I must post it again so people can understand what it was about. But it's funny when you read something that's so of the moment. The other reason I wanted to write it publicly or privately was that I like to revisit stuff. I've got a real thing for nostalgia. I love looking back and trying to remember how I felt at that time. And that's why when I see a book, for example, that I read when I was 15, because I don't have those books anymore because they all got lost... If I see in a bookshop a book that I read when I was 15, I want to pick it up and I want to look at the back and I want to, and then I suddenly I'm just transported and then you just think, oh, but I'm in a better place now. And it's a weird thing Mm. about trying to send this message back in time, you know, to kind of say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. It feels terrible right now, but my God, you've got, you know, 70 years ahead of you to live and it's going to be so interesting because life is ultimately interesting. It's up and it's down and that's life. And this, the pebble in the throat shifted now? Uh, it's definitely shifted because I found out what the problem, what the obstruction was and um, removed it and then made some decisions. And yes, yeah, definitely, it's definitely gone. I just hope that no, no other pebbles are attempted to be placed anywhere near <laughs> my throat figuratively in the future but I don't think I would let that happen again right what's your emotional age oh my goodness um god that's so interesting uh, my emotional age my current emotional age so I've always felt emotionally immature I've always felt that I am 10 years younger than I am and I don't mean looking I mean emotionally I just feel like I get to 60 and I'm like oh now I understand when I was 50 so I would say my emotional age right now must be 41 <laughs> very specifically yes. 10 years before <laughs> give us a book recommendation so it can be just something great you read recently or it could be one of those books that you don't have anymore from when you were a kid anything hmm. I read a book recently I love reading memoirs and I love reading about family dynamics and it's called Consumed and it's by Arafa Akbar yes lovely book it's such a good book a lot of it is lost on me because I'm not very artsy but I appreciate that she is and that was just a whole new story. This idea of there being two sisters and one is the favourite and one isn't. And the one that isn't is basically kind of harassed almost into mental illness. I mean, I just thought that was what a horrendous tale. But also then to have to live with that as the favourite sibling, I just thought that was an amazing book. And I gave that to my mum to read as well. And she was the same. She finds it difficult to read books that are difficult 
She wants mm. books that are happy and happily ever after. Books that maybe are a bit close to home, I think she finds them quite difficult. But I do, I always pass on, you know, these books, especially if they're about the Asian experience to my mum. But that book was just so clever and so different to anything I'd ever read before because that particular dynamic it's not that you're saying oh poor me I was the I was the sibling that you know my dad didn't like it's like no you were the sibling that your dad did like and how mm. must that feel especially when that sibling has has passed away it's just like it just I thought it was phenomenal I was an absolutely phenomenal book did you have that kind of favorites mum's favorite dad's favorite thing in your family oh it's really difficult because I would say that when I was um my dad when I was growing up it says in the book that we had an amazing relationship because like you know he loved taking photos and I loved posing because I was an Mm. attention seeker so all the Super 8 films, home movies, most of them are of me, which is mad, you know, and it's just me basically showing off. I'm on my bicycle, I'm on my tricycle, I'm I'm standing on one leg, I'm doing this. Look at me, daddy, I'm amazing. So we had a fantastic relationship when I was younger. I mean, it got a bit more difficult, obviously, when I was a teenager. But then my dad had an amazing relationship with all four of us. He was a great 70s dad. You know, he was mm, know really, exactly what you really mean. good. He was kind of as present as 70s dads were, you know, but Mm. he was just so much fun and he was, you know, we always kind of got what we wanted off him, which was fantastic. But my mum, I kind of moved on to my mum a bit later on in life and she used to always say to me, and I should whisper this, she used to always say to me, uh, I would say to her, but mum, am I your favourite? She would say, yes, but don't tell anyone. Uh, And this was very much, I think, after she had to kind of, she came back from Pakistan and had to help me with things like, you know, going into a shop and she really wanted to bring me back out of myself and I think yeah. we developed a really strong relationship because of that maybe it was based on guilt I don't know what she shouldn't have been guilty though because she had four children one of whom you know um had huge challenges in a yeah. time when people didn't understand that stuff. Your little brother isn't exactly. we've referred to a couple of times yeah so he um so back then they didn't know what it was but I think it was when he was 21 they officially said it was Asperger's but he I also had learning learning difficulties as well on top of that but he's like a really sharp cookie like he's really clever about th- some certain things but you know he's not he's kind of like you know reading and writing are like childlike and he's not able to live independently so he's been through a life of kind of institutions and special schools and living at home and and now he lives in a kind of supported accommodation and he goes and sees my mum and dad once a week but I think he's going to be 50 this year and that's just mad because he will just always be 10 years old you know he hasn't moved on from that and it's mad he's still it's not his fault he still says the same things you know, which he just has his, his obsessions. And He's still obsessed with cars. Obsessed with cars, obsessed with London versus Glasgow weather. <laughs> obsessed with... Lots of people are obsessed yeah. with that. <laughs> I know. There's, there's about two or three things that he's obsessed by. Pakistan. Pakistan's better than this, better than that. This person, that person's better. He used to be obsessed by particular newsreaders. He doesn't really watch TV anymore. But, you know, it's just, it's just a small kind of manias. Um, but he will just always be a 10-year-old to me, you know, even though he's going to be 50 this year, which is mind-blowing, you know. That's crazy. It really isn't is, it? yeah. What advice would you give younger women? Oh, my goodness. Knowing full well that they won't take it. Yeah. My instinctual advice is don't let people make you small. And then there's my other, my more realistic advice, which is you probably won't be able to do it all. As in, you won't be able to do everything. You know, girls can do anything. Girls can do everything. Maybe in 40 years that'll be true, but it's not true right now. It's just not true. So yeah, don't try and do everything. Don't try and do everything because you can't. Just pick the things that make you happy and just do them. And I don't know, be kind to yourself. Instead of being kind, be kind to everyone. You know you know how it says on a lot of t-shirts for girls. Yeah. Be a nice girl, be kind, be lovely, be kind to people. You know, it's Mm. not be kind to yourself. I would say be kind to yourself, be forgiving and don't judge yourself so harshly. And also this moment that you're in right now is um, it won't always be like this. Would you have paid any attention to that, do you think? I think if someone had said to me that it's going to be it's going to be better I would have but there was no one to tell me that because my mum had such a different experience to me growing up she didn't understand what what the problem was because she'd had an amazing secure school life where she'd been head girl and you know top of everything and I'd just been like just kicked kicked to pieces basically like a lot of us had 
we didn't have any role models basically I suppose is what I'm saying we didn't have anyone older and Asian who could say to us oh you're going to have an amazing life maybe because they hadn't had that life yet so I think if someone had said that to me I think I would have been incredibly hopeful and optimistic but no one did (laughs) (laughs) who's your old bird role model now you know, it's really hard because a lot of the the kind of feminists who are like maybe in their 70s and 80s now, they just, I find them quite disappointing because they say things like, but it's not as bad as when I was. And it's like, but that doesn't matter, you know. And I suppose yeah. I'm kind of saying that a bit as well. I'm saying, well, it's not as, racism's not as bad as when I was younger. Um, so but maybe I'm not, guilty of that too. You're not saying their experience doesn't count, though, yeah, which I think is the difference, true. isn't it? I would say, I think that my role model has always been from the age of about... 13 to now it's madonna it's still it's madonna and madonna's done a lot of questionable things like she had that weird hunting phase and you know when she was trying to be like an english oh, yes. lady and when all she was the rest of it english gentry <laughs> yeah exactly that was all a bit weird um but you know honestly she when i was young when i was 13 14 she was the one that just kept i think i just believed that she was showing me a world in which women could stick two fingers up to the establishment and say, you think I'm I'm too much. Well, I will be too much. And every time mm. you tell me not to be something, I will be that just to annoy yeah. you. And I kind of really respect that. Um, obviously, it was more relevant, perhaps, and it had more impact in 1985 than it would today. Now, it just it feels very confused you know everyone's feminism overlaps and it's kind of difficult and all the rest of it but you know she is still someone who's refusing to lie down and die I suppose in a way and and people still don't like that and and I just think it's amazing refusing to go quietly yeah exactly and in a way that people find acceptable yeah Yeah, yeah. It's like the whole fuss about her face. It's like what people object to, I think, most about that is not that she does it, it's that they can see that she does it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. We don't want to see the strings, basically. You know, we want, we don't want to look at an old face. But, you know, if we're going to look at a young face, it can't be too young. Because then we know that you've cheated. It's just, it's, it's just ridiculous. What's your superpower? My superpower, getting through it, just getting through it just get to the end of the day and just have a little celebration that you know today I did 14 or 15 really difficult things and I did them on my own and and well done me (laughs) you know um sometimes I, I want to actually list it you know I'll be like so today I went to I've done a full day's work and then I went to the gym and lifted weights because it's important for women of my you know age and then uh, we did the garden and then I sold my house and I bought a house today and I went 16 miles away and I looked at another school for my daughter and then I came back and then I did the washing and then we did the garden and then I did this and I did that and it just goes on and on and on and it's like a list of 14 or 15 things and they're not small things but no. you do them all on your own and they're not all physical either so many of them are mental and you find yourself you're brain being pushed in all these different directions and I don't know it's maybe it's no big deal maybe people just get on with it and do it but I just think my superpower is just getting to the end of the day and thinking yes I did it oh my god I did it nothing fell apart and I did it and you know and I did it for myself actually and my daughter I didn't do it for anyone else so because you shouldn't be doing stuff for other people they should be doing it themselves (laughs) or helping you know I think that's hell of a superpower yeah um last one how many fucks do you give I would say close to zero maybe half maybe half of one I think it's a thing of midlife women that um and I used to look at midlife women and think god why are they so why are they why are they not like you know why aren't they smiley and nice like you know like I am and now I understand why because it's tiring and if I don't like something I'm just going to tell you now you know I'm just going to tell you I'm going to tell you as politely as I can I'm going to say no that's not going to work and everyone's a bit like, oh, oh my goodness, the air has changed. That was a bit weird. Um, but you just have to just say, no, I don't want to do that. And I don't really care. I think I will say throughout my life from my 20s onwards, I, I don't care what people think. Because I think I lost control of that such a long time ago. Mm. 
But I've never really cared what people think of me. And that's why I've never been hugely popular. You know, I don't have a massive group of like friends who all know each other. I know a lot of people individually. I've made good mm. friends individually. And I've just never been in that kind of massive herd. And I suppose you sometimes look at that and you think, oh, that would be nice, actually. But I've just never been, I've never been that kind of person. We've just totally gone full circle. <laughs> to where we came in. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like more of The Shift in your life, head over to theshiftwithsambaker.substack.com and sign up for weekly newsletters, podcast extras and more. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.